Hello and welcome back to the Raven Football Podcast. I'm Sam Brenton and as usual I'm joined by our resident data analyst Sam Dennis. Hello Sam. Hello, uh, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Well to be fair it's actually been quite nice down here so I've been playing a bit of golf and a bit of tennis recently although I must admit I've probably been more failing to play golf than tennis. Do you do data analysts on your tennis performance? <laughs> um, I would but I don't really think there's many metrics which go up to that that high amount of unforced errors. XF for expected faults. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Well, m- maybe we can work that in. And freelance sports writer, Matt Posser. Hello. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, I've just had a fantastic burrito. <laughs> Do you know think I've ever had? I don't think I've ever had a burrito. <laughs> Do you live under a rock? Uh, is it, it's not like pitter and stuff. I don't, you're not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not. It's like a wrap, better. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I don't, I'm no, not it's not pitter. Yeah. Just think of a wrap and then you know make it better, and that's yeah, a I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not that into the bread of a wrap. So what's goes in it? Like meat. As long as they're not too yeah, thick, you get a bit too like solid. You don't have rice with like anything. So. Yeah, I don't dislike it. So, what, so what's in it? Like, is there meat in? Uh, rice, meat, uh, like beans, a bit of salsa, a bit of sour cream, some you know, usually some sauce. Good stuff. I might, I might try at some point. Right. Anyway, so on with the football. Um, we're going to head. We're going to look ahead to the return of the Premier League, which returns this Saturday. Uh, Matt, which team are you looking forward to seeing? Um, I'm actually quite. I mean, I mean this tentatively. Quite looking forward to seeing how Everton are this year. I think they have bought quite well. Uh, they still worry me a bit in centre uh, back. I still think they could be open to any team that has a bit of pace. I think Mina and Keane, assuming they're the starting two, a bit slow maybe. But overall, I think second season under Ancelotti, they've bought some interesting players. They've bought Alain, they've bought Rodriguez, they've bought Decure. So they've really improved the midfield. And I think... Hope- yeah, we talked about James and Alain in more depth on our previous transfer podcast, which is well worth a listen if you haven't already. And it looks like I'll be adding Decore too. I'm looking forward to see how they set in, Hammers especially, because he is capable of moments of genius at times. But whether he's willing to commit to the slog of being an average Premier League team week in, week out remains to be seen. It is a big gamble for Everton. They've been on the fringes of financial fair play, and these are expensive acquisitions. I think what might help, you obviously mentioned on Hammers maybe struggling to adapt, obviously, like the workload and the physical side. Because obviously, as we mentioned, he hasn't played a lot of minutes recently. I think what might help is the fact that they've got John Philippe Gamin coming back. They signed last year for a month for about about five million euros. I think the actual completed deal was. But he only actually he only featured in a couple of games at the start of last season before getting quite a serious injury and being out for the year. But he can be quite a hard working defensive midfielder. So if you had him partnered behind either like an Alan or a Decore, who's obviously going to do that box to box side, it'll probably free up quite a bit of space and give Rodriguez slightly more room to do his more technical side on that front. Yeah, I'm also really hoping that Ancelotti can get a tune out of Moise Keane this season. I was really excited about him when he first moved because I thought he had real potential at Juventus. He's never really settled in the Premier League, but with Hammers and Alain and under Ancelotti, this team now has big Serie A energy. So maybe his time might come. Yeah, I think, yeah, like, I am quite excited. I'm, so I'd say I'm more excited to see what happens with them more than them as a team. Like, I'm excited because they really have to be breaking into the European places and it's like I think fifth to or fifth to sixth or seventh depending on you know how the FA Cup goes it's getting like a lot more congested now like you'd expect Leicester not to get Champions League again so they they're going to be in there Wolves are consistently proving that they're going to be in and around there then you've got the you know the two of the big six that aren't going to get in there so uh, Everton's reign over the Everton Cup seems you know like it might actually be hot hard for them to uh, keep up. Yeah, I look at this Everton theme and think it could go either way. They do have some great players and an excellent manager, so they certainly have the potential to finish in the European places. But what is equally likely is that the whole thing just goes tits up in classic Everton fashion. None of their players perform, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Ancelotti isn't even there in a few months. Well, I think what helps Everton a bit is since Mashiri took over in, I believe it was um, February 2016, Obviously, the first couple of years, they really did spend quite a lot of money. And under Marco Silva, they seem to just be throwing money around like at players such as Sigurdsson and then Davy Klaassen, who's just, you're almost signing players to try and compete in the same position. Then since Marcel Brands taken over the recruitment from Steve Walsh last summer, the transfers really did seem to get a bit more solid. Obviously, I mentioned Gammon earlier. And obviously, this year, they've got Alan and Decore, who are really starting to identify issues. So I'm hoping maybe now with... The transfer side getting a bit more, a bit more structured, and there's a bit more. You can almost see progress in it, and then obviously having a manager of Angelotti who can attract players like Hammers as well, and 
although he may tactically not quite be as good as he once was, he's obviously still got that aura about him and knows how to work a squad. So I think there is signs of optimism that they do are starting to put a bit more of a structure in. Yeah, the only thing I'm concerned about with Everton is if they're going to score enough goals. I think Rodriguez, you can't rely on to score consistently from midfield. Sigurdsson, you can't rely on to score consistently midfield, even though they're both you know, capable of scoring a 10 to 15 goal season you know, at their peaks. So it's really whether Dominic Calvert-Lewin can take the next step and become the player that he's shown signs of, or like Sam said, Moisey Ken uh, comes on and you know really comes on this year and settles a lot more. Or whether the, you know someone else uh, contributes, maybe Bernard scores a few and Nwobi scores a few, and they just become one of those teams where no one scores a ton of goals, but a lot of people chip in. So it'd be interesting to see yeah, where their goals come from. But like on paper, they have a really interesting side this year. Okay, Dennis, which teams are you looking forward to seeing? Well, the team I'm probably most excited for this year is actually, it's it might seem a bit strange at first because obviously they've been so so all over the place over the last few years, but it's actually Arsenal. I don't know whether this is maybe just more of a optimism flowing from obviously the way they finished the season after restart quite well, despite having those really iffy games at the start and against City and Brighton. And then obviously winning the FA Cup and following up with the um, Community Shield a couple of weeks ago. But I'm really thinking that Arteta, although he's obviously not really been in the job for very long yet, he does seem to be addressing some of the issues they've got and some of the issues which have really been hanging over that club since the end of the Wenger era. I mean, the main problem I've always thought with Arsenal over the past few years is that under the end of Arsene Wenger and when Emre took it in, took over, sorry, they were really playing under quite like a, it was quite a low block combined with quite an unaggressive press. And I think Arteta's realised this. And once he's obviously taken over, having been under Pep for quite a few years, he's identified that, well, actually, although they don't necessarily, if they don't have Ozil in this team, which because he doesn't really fit the structure at the moment, they might not have that creativity midfield. But you don't really need that. If you're playing under a good system and you've got your counter-pressing sorted, I think they might actually start to show that it can be a bit more of the sum of their parts. Yeah, I'll have a bit of change side since Arteta took over. I believe that they're second in the Premier League form table from the date that they took that he took over. It does seem to be they had that like initial bounce almost, which obviously you can maybe put down to a like a cliche new manager bounce, if you will. Then obviously it sort of stagnated. But I think that was more just because they were obviously it's hard for any manager to come in and to get his ideas across midway through a season especially when the team is playing in the Europa League, so you're playing twice a week, obviously up till they got knocked out against Olympiacos. But also for a coach who's, although he's had such a good learning session, he's obviously, that was his first job. So I do think it was quite like, it was quite expected that they may, may not be as good as they were. And then to show some of that sort of structure already, I think it's quite good for the going forward for them. See, this is where I, we're going to disagree because uh, peek behind the curtain, we did actually talk about some of the teams we're going to say that we don't think are going to do that well this year and I think that Arsenal might be one of the bigger disappointments of this year especially with all the hype around them at the moment and I put a lot of it down to the fact that they've got a very young side and a very inexperienced manager as well and I think that there's a good chance that they'll be great at times but also really disappointing at times I think that people predicting they're going to get in the top four is it's a bit too soon i think they'll probably get europe maybe fifth or sixth but i don't see them getting uh the top four at the moment i think there are definitely four better sides than them right now see i don't think there are four better sides than them i mean so we've talked a lot about chelsea in the past but they leak goals and they've got a lot of new signings that need to gel very quickly and i don't think that Solskjaer has the tactical nous to get united to perform for the whole season we've seen them struggle with things like squad rotation in the past see i do think I've, well, I think every, we're all likely to agree on you know, Manchester City and Liverpool are guaranteed to be in the top four. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely. Um, and then I think Chelsea have done so well in the transfer market that they, they're they almost a shoe in for me as well. I do think that Manchester United are more equipped for a uh, sustained run at the top four this year than Arsenal are, just purely because as much as they're a young side as well, they do have that experience a bit more uh they're a bit more streetwise in my opinion i think that they will probably just have a bit more consistency and that will probably mean that they end up getting top four as well i mean both sides have some really exciting young players but if you think about it if you compare for example the top the front threes nicholas pepe 
and Mason Greenwood, for example, are quite a good comparison, I think. And I think that Greenwood, despite being younger, actually seems a bit further along in his development. You can then go on about the rest of the teams and Arsenal, I think, you know, with Matteo Gunduzi, I don't know what's going to happen with him because he was meant to be their exciting young midfield talent, you know, meant to break games open for them. And I think Manchester United with Pogba and Fernandez have more consistent options in that position. I mean, you never know, Mesut Ozil could come back and tear it up again, but it seems like his Arsenal days are numbered. So I just think that... Yeah, I'm not expecting a lot from Ozil this season, I must admit. No, and you know, it's a shame because I accidentally drafted him in the uh, fantasy draft that we did last <laughs> night. So, <laughs> him... Along with Mustafi, might I add? Yeah, it's... Oh, the, the button's quite small and I've got you know quite chubby <laughs> fingers. So I yeah, got, went for Ben Davis, got Mustafi, accidentally pressed Ozil. So it's um, but yeah, I don't I don't think Arsenal will have quite enough yet for top four. I just think that as much as there will be games where we think, wow, what a team! Like they've got so much potential. I just think there'll be games where they really frustrate us and they end up losing one nil to a you know bottom half team, and everyone thinks, how has that happened? But it's just, I think it's just lack of experience. And I think that they will be a great team, but it's just I don't. I think it's a year too soon. He obviously is he's very right to say obviously is a very young team. But I do think that they they do have quite a nice mix almost because they've obviously got they've brought in um Gabriel and Saliba in the back who look like two very exciting, very good young centre backs. But then if you think if you partner those early on with Luis and Musafi, and I know we do joke about obviously those two and their issues, but they are still very experienced players, especially Luis, who's obviously been at the top level, he's won it all. He's obviously played numerous times for Brazil, so he can really help out there. And then I think it's also similar in the attack, actually. Because obviously they've got so many young, exciting players like Saka, Nelson, and Ketia, Martinelli, and even Pepe in that front. And then I think if you, although it looks like Lacazette might be moving on, if you combine those young players with Bamiang, who's going to be a talisman, and yes, he's still a bit, of, bit up in the air whether he might sign his contract. I think he will but it seems like it almost might be a little longer before it's confirmed. Then also the Willian signing, because although he is obviously on quite a high wage and that's an issue in itself, but I think from an actual player standpoint, that's perfect signing for them. He, he can come in, he's still playing at a very high level for Chelsea last year, so he can offer that. But he can also mentor, and especially Pepe in that front, he can really hopefully move his game on a bit. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, I was quite rated Willian as well. I think he's been a bit underrated. Yeah, he always has been, ever since he's been in the Premier League and even before when he was obviously at Shakhtar, there were a lot of teams trying to sign him and he's he's coming in. He's always been a consistent, like eight, nine out of 10. But he just never really seems to get mentioned quite like other players. I think it's maybe almost because he never really he never really drops off. So he's almost just consistently at such a high level for both Chelsea and Brazil whenever he played for them. And he seems to have gone a bit under the radar how good a signing that is. Yeah, I, I do find the Arsenal-Brazil contingent interesting. They do have... You know, they're stockpiling quite a lot of Brazilian players, both younger and more experienced. I do think that is an interesting tactic. Like, if we mention like Wolves have stockpiled a lot of Portuguese players, I think it is definitely a tactic that if you get you know four or five players from the same nation playing in your team, I think it does add a bit of camaraderie. I think I've read a lot about the Wolves players. They all go to a Portuguese cafe in Wolverhampton. They all close off the field. I do think that atmosphere does matter and. You know, bringing William may just be as a mentor to Robert Martinelli is probably the most attacking Brazilian young player that they have there. But just even to have those older heads with uh, William and David Luiz, I think, is an interesting tactic. I think it may benefit. I think it probably will benefit young Brazilian players at the club quite well. But yeah, I'm still still think that, especially on those young centre backs you mentioned, Sam, that they just. They don't have a lot of Premier League experience. I do think they may be susceptible just to get caught out once in a while. And it just, I just don't quite think, see them having enough to make the top four just yet. So I'm interested to hear your take as a Liverpool fan. Um, I've seen a lot of people tip them for a second title, but I think they might even struggle to finish in the top two. They've not signed any, not really signed any new players. They've been linked with Thiago. Is there a case of the squad not being that fresh? Um, I, what I would have to say to that is I do, I'm not just, I don't hope I don't come across as obviously a biased fan here. I don't, I don't think Liverpool will retain the title. I must admit, I do think City will do that. I just think they're, they're so strong yeah, and they were so strong last year. So they had their issues defensively and they did have this, I think the start of last season, they really suffered mentally whenever they seemed to go a goal behind or it wasn't quite working out. If it was nil nil at halftime in a game, they think they should be winning. 
they almost seem to put too much pressure on themselves. And I think part of that was in because in the back of their minds, they've known all year long, all they need is the Champions League and that's all they obviously strive for. But on the Liverpool not finishing the top two front, I do think that still Liverpool and City, even though Liverpool haven't freshened up the squad, like you say, and obviously there's only really been the the backup left-back come in from Olympiacos, I just think they were so far ahead of all the other teams last year, including obviously like Chelsea, United, Spurs, Arsenal and the rest. But I think that although the gap will probably close this season, mm. I think Mourinho's Spurs will be a lot more organised and he seems to be bringing in players which suit his style more. Obviously, Chelsea have signed every attacking midfielder, it seems, but not really address the issues. So I think that although City might win the league and not necessarily run away with it, but win it quite comfortably, I then still think there'll be quite a big gap between Liverpool and third place, whoever that may be. Now, you're probably right. They have a lot of work to do to come close to those top two. Okay, so moving on from the top four teams, who are we expecting as a surprise package further down the table this season? Well, a team that I quite like the look of this year is actually Brighton. I think uh, they've recruited quite cleverly, not necessarily flashy. I mean, Adam Lallana, a good signing. I think he's going to add a bit of creativity to them. He's a consistent performer. And I think the second year under Graham Potter, he's had a bit longer to get his ideas across. I think his Osterson sides, whenever I saw them in Europe, uh, because I don't confess to watching the Swedish league, um, were (laughs) quite interesting. They were interesting to watch. And I think that he has a unique way of coaching teams. And I don't think they necessarily will, it was necessarily going to come off in the first year. So I think survival, a few positives from last year, such as Neil Morpé, I thought was excellent, especially after the break last year. Um, I really think they start to show signs of the team they could be, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were pushing for... I don't think they're going to break the uh, teams that are pushing for the Europa League just yet, but I do think that they could be you know, working their way towards a top 10 finish, maybe ninth or 10th. I think that'd be a great year for them. Does Ladana actually bring much to this team? For all the talk of how well Vernon Brighton are, he's 32, he's struggled with an injury in his career, and he's probably on big wages for them. Well, I just think on the Lalana front, he is obviously he is likely going to be on quite high wages, especially compared to other members of that squad. But they do have quite a young... It's going back almost a bit to the point I raised for the Arsenal side. They do have quite a young attacking midfield front. Obviously, they've got Davy Proffer, who will be sat behind them, who I think is an absolutely lovely footballer to watch. Just the way he picks up the ball and just controls games, just amazing. But then if they've got the likes of Trussard and McAllister, who obviously were playing behind and in and around Morpé, and Glenn Murray last season, I know, also has also moved on. So you lose that Glenn Murray experience. I just think if you have Lalana, who's always been involved at the highest level, he's obviously been numerous caps for England. He's obviously won quite a lot recently with Liverpool. I just think that although he might not offer, offer as much on the pitch these days, although I still think he can, if he can stay fit, which is, I appreciate quite a lot to ask for him, it seems, he can obviously still offer quite a lot and can be quite controlled in those games. But I just think he could be another, another mental figure almost for that young side. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned Davy Proper because I see we saw players like Hoiberg move to Spurs from Southampton, and you see mentions of you know the uh, top class central midfielders at uh, more middling Premier League clubs consistently linked with teams higher up the league. Are you surprised there was doesn't appear to be much interest in Davy Proper over the summer? I think he's an excellent player. Like he's, since he came in, uh, he arrived when Brighton were. A, brand new Premier League team and he slotted in straight away and sort of helped that team settle. I don't think, you know, the half the team they are without him. Oh, definitely not. He is, it is like you say, he never really seems to be mentioned like at all, really. You don't, obviously, once the season finishes and before it starts back in August, there's barely any mention of his name in any sense. He just seems to, he seems quite happy at Brighton. He seems quite happy going along and playing the role he is because obviously he does, I was actually, I remember when they signed him from Heronveen, I was quite surprised that they actually managed to pull that one off just because you almost, you see a player of that quality and he's obviously had such a good career in the Eredivisie and that it's, it's quite a coup for them really. So I would, I would say back on your point almost, if you, before obviously Everton seemed to get their act together a bit this summer and obviously the centre midfield signings they, they've made, going back to like last summer or even last January, that is the sort of player that that sort of side could really do with when there's obviously that clear mismatch between defence and attack and you need somebody who can be sat in the middle a bit like a Jorginho under Sarri at Chelsea role who can really help control that whole game and really help the transition move on. Yeah, talking of players that uh, came to Brighton from 
Eredivisie. Do you, I think that Joel Veltman's an absolute steal at you know under a million pounds this summer. I think he's a really valuable addition. I was so surprised side. to see how low that fee went for. That 900 grand, I believe it was, in total in the end, is just absolutely mad. For a player who's always been at Ajax and has obviously been involved in that amazing Champions League run as long as, as well as winning a couple of Eredivisies recently. And just the way he was like, although maybe not necessarily always featuring week in, week out, but like such a mentor for De Ligt before he moved on to Chelsea. I just think combining that with obviously the most important bit of transfer I think Brighton have done this summer is actually tying Ben White down to a long-term contract. He was obviously linked with a lot of teams such as Liverpool and Spurs and Leeds where he was on loan at last season. But to have a young English player of that quality want to commit his long-term future, I'm really, really excited to see in this um, Brighton defence this year, which I know might be a bit boring thing to say, but they've obviously got Veltman coming in, Ben White there, Webster came on quite a lot last year. They've still got Lewis Dunk. I know Shane Duffy has moved on loan to Celtic. But I think as a four-centre-back pairing, I think that's arguably outside the top six. That's probably one of the best around, really. Yeah, I think how they've uh, sort of... They were quite an old team, and they've sort of youthened the team up, if that's a word. And, you know, without actually losing much, I don't think Murray was as effective last year as he was the year before. I think it's probably about time that he moved on or moved probably down to the championship that's no offense to him he's been a fantastic servant to the club i just feel like it's you know, the speed of the game is probably more suited to him the championship i think he'll do quite well actually this year but i like i like the way they go about their business it's not necessarily flashy it's you know it's functional they address their needs it's just organized and it? it's actually it's 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 nice to see a, a club which could easily sort of a bit like bournemouth started to do and they almost started to get a bit comfortable and obviously almost looked to be taking the Premier League money and obviously you then question some of the transfers of business on that side. But this is clearly a team which has brought in Potter, who's obviously so good, like you mentioned, at Ostersunds and then his brief time at Swansea and has a clear way of playing football. And they've identified that they need young, exciting players around him for that to work. And they've actually gone out and targeted that. So I think it is just quite nice to see a team who's got a, got a clear plan in mind. Yeah, it was a shame to see Aaron Moy leave, though. He's gone to China. I think it was Shanghai. Yeah, I think they thought it was an odd move at first, but it's worth remembering that Moy is Australian, so China is far closer to home for him than anywhere in Europe. So that might have been a factor for him. But still, it's a real shame to see a player of that quality leave the Premier League. Yeah, and I know you're a massive Aaron Moy apologist from his time at Huddersfield, but um, I do think that he probably didn't really fit into that team anymore. I think, yeah, he definitely could have stayed in England and played, but... Um, I do think that his opportunities in the Brighton side were probably going to be limited uh, moving forward. I don't think he's quite the kind of player that really fits their system anymore. Um, another team along the South Coast that I know you're excited about, Dennis, is Southampton. Oh, very much so. I really, I must admit, I've I've always liked Southampton. I've always liked, obviously, they had that really good spell of like five, six years where they were seen to be constantly promoting players from their youth team, bringing in players from like maybe less targeted markets and obviously moving them on admittedly mostly to Liverpool occasionally Spurs but and getting like quite nice fees and recycling that they seem to then go off a bit of a boil the last couple of seasons under Mark Hughes but I think then since Hassan Hoot was taken over and obviously they had that absolutely terrible time with the 9-0 and then the the game against Everton which they lost afterwards which I actually think is worse because that was just an absolutely terrible game of football but then since they've decided to stick with him and I think they identified that Hassan Hoot is such a good coach for this sort of team and he's the sort of coach that can really inspire them and take them on. He obviously gets he gets linked a lot as like the Alpine Klopp almost, which I actually think is maybe a bit derogatory to him because he's obviously his own man in that sense and he's got his own ideas and structure. But I'm just really excited by the way that he seems to be identifying how he wants to play. He wants to obviously play in this quite quite aggressive, counter-pressing side, winning the ball high up and really making it quick transitions so they catch the other team out. And obviously he's, the transfer business so far has maybe not been up to the eye, it might not be very, might not seem very exciting. Obviously, Hoiberg's moved on to Spurs, which is a big loss. But I think if you've got the likes of James Ward-Prowse and Stuart Armstrong in that sentiment field, that can replace that. But then I think the signing of bringing in Carl Walker-Peters, who I really like as a young right back, I think he was a bit unfairly done at Spurs. He seemed to, he seemed to only ever get a couple chances and was pretty much immediately cast out whenever it didn't really work out. But then they've also brought in Salasu from Real Valladolid over in Spain, which I'm sure Matt Matt knows something about him. And he's um he just seems like such an excellent young centre back. He's only twenty one years old, but he really seems like quite a ball player. I think if you partner that with Jan Bednarak at the centre, again, uh, it's looking almost linking back to that Brighton 
defensive unit. I just think that's really quite an exciting team that can really look to build something. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to Southampton this year as well. I think uh, I like the partnership of Danny Ings and Che Adams. I don't think we can expect Danny Ings to get quite as many goals as he did last year, although it's certainly not impossible. But I think Adams really started to settle in the second half of the season, started to score goals, which obviously is his job. But it it was important as he did not score for a long time for them. I think that those front two, it's you know, quite traditional. Playing, for, they do tend to play sometimes a four-four-two or something. You know, or they do tend to use two strikers uh, quite frequently, which you know you don't see as much of now. But I quite I like seeing a good strike partnership as long as they can get the service. Which you know, I think definitely in the centre of the field, Ward Prowse offers a lot, especially with his set piece delivery and his uh, and his you know through balls and stuff. But yeah, it, it's just such a lovely passer of the ball. Oh, it's fantastic! I, yeah, I'm really glad he's in the England team at the moment. Um, but I think what you'd hope for is maybe the wingers to produce a bit more. But other than that, or you know, or even the fullbacks and Walker Peters may be able to offer that from. Right back position. We know how important Trent Alexander Arnold is for Liverpool with his assists. So I think you know if the fullbacks can start to contribute, and maybe the wingers can provide a bit more end product. I think I can see Southampton scoring quite a lot of goals this year if those two up front. Yeah, Ings got 22 goals last year. Now that is an insane haul for a team in Southampton's position. He scored more than any Man City player or any Liverpool player. No, I'd love to be some daddying. So I really hope he can carry on that form this season. I'd love to see him carry on. I, I, I will agree that I maybe expect that number to drop down just slightly, slightly on that front. But I do think that him and Che Adams did start to form quite a nice partnership. So even though, and Adams only actually got four goals last year in the Premier League. So I imagine it might almost be a case that Ings' numbers might drop a little. Adams will increase slightly. I think as a partnership, they'll still return around about that like mid, mid-20s to, to 30, which I think for any side of that sort of, degree is far more than you can even ask for but I think also one thing that's interesting to note about Southampton is last season they had an expected goals against of 53.34 but they actually conceded 60 and that was actually the highest difference between any team in the Premier League so obviously the the difference from the expected to the actual like conceding amount so obviously that's obviously clearly so clearly there's some wonder goals scored against them some freak goals almost so I think you can expect that number to drop down to its more expected level around about a low 50 mark and if you think like seven eight goals that can be the matter between like nine ten points absolutely and i think um i think you know ryan bertrand is a really good player i do think that he does need to add maybe like i said when i was mentioning the uh the the wide players for southampton i do think that maybe his end product sort of lets him down sometimes but i do like watching him play he's a really exciting player to watch I really do hope they keep hold of Sofian Buffal and do get to deploy him and get a bit more of a tune out of him because when he's on his game, which I admit is at the moment about four times a season, he's a really, really good player to watch. He's one of the you know best dribblers in the Premier League when he fancies it, but it's just whether he fancies it or not. And you know, there, as always with him, there'll be rumours leading, you know, rumours to him leaving and. It's very possible that he might still leave, but as far as I can see, he hasn't left yet this summer, not on loan or permanently. So I hope that he does stay and he does, and you know, Southampton manage to get something out of him because I do think he could be a really important player. Yeah, I think they are expecting him to stay this time. I know obviously he was on loan at Celta Vigo last year, but I think, like you mentioned, obviously the winger front, obviously they are looking for Bertrand and Walker Peters to contribute a bit more attacking high up the field for those fullbacks positions. I think if they can then get a bit more out of like, like Redmond, Buffal, um, Dim Jembu came in, and they've also got um, the young lad Smallbone, he's broken through the academy. And I think they are really high on in that attack midfield role. So I think they're almost kind of expecting that whilst they try and transition to this more, more high tempo, more up the field team, that if they can then obviously try and keep some of those players around and not move them on like the, maybe they have done over the recent time then they start to generate a bit more attacking force than that. So even if the Ings and Adams partnership does have its off days, they'll be contributing more from the wide areas. Yeah, you were talking about 
Southampton not doing much transfer business. What we could see with them is a return to their reliance on their academy graduates. Obviously, they've produced some world-class players in the past. And with the pandemic's impact on the finances of smaller clubs, you could see academies playing a much bigger role than they have done previously. One bit of transfer business they did do, which I was a bit disappointed in, was obviously let Harrison Reed move on move on by transfer to Fulham. He's obviously had a very successful loan spell last year. And I think the, only, the fee was only actually about six million. I was quite disappointed in that because I know they've obviously got Romeo in that part of the, part of the midfield who they are very high on and has been such a reliable player for them. But I just think Harrison Reed maybe offered something slightly bit more. He was obviously still that defensive side, but he's slightly more creative. So I guess unless they're thinking that they'll have Romeo playing that role and then either Armstrong or Ward-Prowse partner him for the creative side, they don't really want that crossover. But I, I was a bit disappointed to see that. I like the Southampton young players that are coming through. I loved Harrison Reed. He was fantastic when he was on at Blackburn. I watched quite a lot of him play. Um and I really thought he was fantastic. I mean, he was always bound to be a Premier League player. Like he was, a, you know, a class above some of the some of his teammates when he was there. But I am interested to see if Josh Sims can sort of have a bit more of a bounce back season. Uh, he's went on to he went to New York Red Bulls on loan last year, and as much as that was cancelled uh, early due to the coronavirus pandemic, it would be interesting to see how he gets on this year. I do think he sort of broke out out of nowhere and then disappeared again. And it's just be interested to see what happens with him this year. Yeah, Sims is one of those strange ones where he did, obviously, like when he first broke into the team, he played three or four games in a row and he was absolutely electric. Everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. And then he sort of fell out of it. And I guess that was maybe, he's only 23 still now. So I guess that was a couple of years ago. So he was obviously quite young at the time. So I'd be interested to see maybe with, if they're not looking to do much transfer business on the attacking side, if they bring players like him and Smallbone, like I mentioned earlier, in, and maybe Hasnuta will try and get a bit of a tune out of those guys as well. Yeah, I do think it's definitely an important year for him. It's his last year in his contract. It does expire next summer. So I think that it's an important year for him as well, if he, you know, to prove that he can crack the Premier League. Because outside of his you know, games for Southampton, he's only ever played in the Championship and the MLS. So I think it is important for him that he, you know, really you know puts it in and makes you know makes the team this year because it's you know it, otherwise it could be you know he could become one of those players that sort of floats around and you never really see their full potential just finishing up on southampton i think the biggest threat to them this season could be another team who wants to come after harsenhutel if Rio starts to struggle at spurs for example levy could look to go after another saints manager i mean he could do and i i guess there is always going to be that because obviously the quick success he had after the huge obviously defeat and the way he turned it around at the second half of last season, I think there will certainly be teams looking at him. And he obviously does have such a high reputation as a coach. But I also do actually think that he he was very grateful to the, and he admitted himself, he was very grateful to the Southampton board that a lot of managers in, in those circumstances, because it wasn't just the one, everyone might remember them, just obviously assume it was the one obviously crushing defeat against Leicester, but they actually were in terrible run of form and had a few defeats afterwards as well. So I think he admitted that a lot of managers would have been sacked in that position. So I think he does... Yeah, they would have. Yeah, well, certainly. I mean, I, I reckon 99 times out of 100, a manager gets sacked after losing 9-0. And that's not really like... that. No one would have been surprised if they moved him on at that point. But I think he has quite a lot of respect and quite a lot of admiration for them keeping himself on. So I think he might... Although, yes, obviously it's likely that if a big job came in, he'd definitely think about it. But I, I, he's one of those where I think he almost might agreed to move on but maybe like the end of the season he'd look to see out this season so I don't think they might be too worried in that sense yeah I do think that was a really you know really clever bit of business by the Southampton board to keep him on because there would have been pressure from fans and you know the media as such to move him on after that performance but I think that he identified and obviously the board identified that it wasn't becoming of the team that he had started to build and you saw towards you know the later part of the season that they were a much better side than that and it was just a as much as it was a very bad off day it was just an off day okay so um moving on uh, which teams do we expect to underperform this season west ham united yeah i think that's quite a fair one <laughs> i mean their captain was slagging off the board on twitter it's not a good start to a season yeah so for those that yeah for those that haven't seen this mark noble tweeted 
As captain of this football club, I'm gutted, angry and sad that Grady has left. Great kid with a great future after they sold Grady Diagana to West Brom. And then after that, Wilshire posted on Instagram, go and do your thing in a club that respects you. Big player <laughs> with a big future. This is fascinating. <laughs> Have you ever seen a team's top players be so openly hostile towards how a club is run now on paper it looks like relatively straightforward business they get rid of a fringe squad player for a reasonable fee which would help them to sign someone else like Tarkovsky for example who they've been linked with but I guess it's just a symbol of everything that's wrong with West Ham that the only player they can sell is a young and relatively exciting also they have players like Lanzini and Anderson on big wages who no one wants to buy because they're you know, often injured and inconsistent. But it just seems like this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, I think the the, slight, the the transfer itself is obviously on paper looks absolutely fine because obviously getting 18 million for a youth player where obviously that money is then all profit. And like you say, they were linked to Tarkovsky. They've clearly got other areas they need to work on and to build on. So I think nobody in most clubs, everyone would have seen that and been disappointed that obviously a youth player has moved on. But probably quite understanding because he barely featured at all obviously he only signed a new contract last I believe it was five-year contract last summer but I think it was more just like you say it was more it's always like everyone's at the end of their tether and it's just another point added on to all the other disappointment and it actually made me think like I, I can't remember which one of the owners it was but a few months ago during obviously the COVID shutdown one of the owners was talking about how, yeah, they've still got massive plans for West Ham and they really want to they really want to make this team. They want to like build it almost on the RB Leipzig model. And I was just, when I heard that, I was just sat there thinking like, I almost cannot think of another team which is as far away from RB Leipzig as West Ham. It's the, literally the complete opposite ideas of how clubs should be. So I don't, I like, I guess in their heads, they think what they're doing is right, but then everything they back it up with just seems, just seems baffling. I think that I... You said on the surface, 18 million for a young player does sound like good value, but if you look at it a bit more, I think it's shocking value. I think they've completely undersold him. I think he had five, I think he had five years left on his contract this year. I think he was through to 2025, and they just extended him. They made him out to be the future of the club. I'm pretty sure that I saw a West Ham fan on Twitter like retweet last year's uh, signing news saying, you know, the future of the club, one of our own, all this. Like, they clearly put a lot of stock in him. They went out and had a brilliant year in the Championship last year. It should have been his year to come back and start to shine for the first team. And instead, they've moved him on for, you know, he's a young uh, England-eligible player. He shouldn't be going for that level, that cheap. I think if maybe someone had come in with a, you know, unbelievable bid, say 30 million plus, then they consider it. But it sounds like they just don't know what they're doing and they've you know, completely alienated what fans did still trust them. And from what I can tell, not any West Ham or West Ham fan or even the players seem to trust or understand what the board is up to, which is, you know, a toxic sign. And I don't think being managed by David Moyes really, you know, fills anyone with confidence either. I think it's going to be a tough year for them. No, especially when they've already sacked David Moyes once for the style of football he played to then realise that, well, actually, we don't want to spend money to get the style of football we want to play. So maybe let's just go back and get David Moyes back. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know how true these are, but there have been reports that they're already behind on payments for Sebastian Haller, which is, if if true, absolutely unbelievable. How a club could be mismanaged to that degree that you're behind on transfer fees on a player you bought last season. And, you know, they've got enormous rent on the stadium. They don't own it themselves. They've got, like you mentioned, Sam, a lot of players on high wages that haven't really performed as well as they could have done. I think the mismanagement of the club is staggering. And, you know, I first to say, you know, I've got some West Ham friends. I would take the out of them for how vocal they are on Twitter. But, you know, I totally get it now. Like, it's hard to believe how badly they've been run though i say they worse run than newcastle who i think have actually i know they've not been sold yet but i think they've actually done some reasonable business summer this summer but yeah i think west ham is like you know an absolute perfect case study of mismanagement by the board because it just seems to never really end with west ham it's almost like every single season follows the same path they pretend to have a bit of optimism coming from obviously like board level and they obviously get linked to a few players which are never going to sign. It's obviously like, I know obviously some of this money they got for from West Brom 
there obviously were talks that, oh, then obviously they've still got the Tarkovsky links and, oh, we're going to go bring Ben Rama in from Brentford. But then instantly from that sale going through, they pretty much were like almost rejected those claims and accepted that he wasn't a target anymore. I do. I just think the only maybe bit of positive news for West Ham is the fact that, and West Ham fans most importantly, is the fact that they managed to make obviously Suscheck a permanent signing after his loan spell last January. Because he looked so good when he came in and was really him and Antonio probably the reason they stayed up last season because they were just an absolute free-for-all. Then obviously Antonio went on his amazing scoring run and Suscheck popped up with a few important goals and he just completely changed that midfield and how active they were. So I think if they can, maybe, I guess you maybe can't necessarily expect Antonio to keep a sort of goal-scoring run going, but if you can have those couple of players and those couple of sorts of players in the in your spine of your team almost, although I'm not expecting them to do anything near good next season, those are the sort of players who can keep you up and maybe just literally just get you into 17. Yeah, I really like the Suchek, but I like you said, it's a, he's a, he looks really good. Like You couldn't keep him out of the news after lockdown. He was fantastic for them. I know it started off with like an own goal. And he's turned out to be absolutely brilliant for them. And it is great business getting him in permanently. But as far as I'm aware, that is their only you know business is in bringing players in. And you can't expect as a Premier League team to keep the same team, especially with players that are unreliable in it and expect to do well. You, you know, they're not a top half team with a steady lineup. They, you know, it sort of seems like Moyes is just you know throwing different teams out each week and seeing what sticks. And yeah, Antonio and Sujek are some, you know, some definite positives. I think Antonio had a really good year last year. He still didn't. I know he scored a lot towards the end, but he still didn't like score. I don't think he passed ten goals, so he's still not prolific. But no, I think he pretty much. It was pretty much all of his goals came after restart, really, from what I remember. He might have obviously would have got one or two beforehand, but it was really once they came back from then. Then he sort of went on that amazing scoring run and obviously got the hat trick against Norwich. But other than that, yes, obviously he was. And that's why I think he will be one of those where it's. He had such a good finish, and he obviously he's an important player, not only just for obviously the goals, but more as important that he actually. He shows so much effort for that team. He does so much they're running. And whenever they look like they might be trying to form a high press, he is the only one trying to do it. So I think it's more that side. If you combine that with Suchek, that's like the, the benefit you're getting from them. Okay, so let's put West Ham fans out of their misery. Let's move on and talk about any any individual players that you're looking forward to seeing this season in the Premier League. Yeah. One player I'm really looking forward to this year is Fabio Silva at Wolves. I think that, you know, like I said earlier about the cause of different nationalities forming at different Premier League teams, I think that the fact that Wolves have a lot of Portuguese players already will really help them settle more quickly than you might imagine a 18-year-old to settle. And I think that he could be quite important for them. I know he's young and he's probably bought more as a de- more as a developmental player, but Jimenez does so much of the work for Wolves, and he did perform pretty consistently last year, and he scores more goals than some people may have gave him credit for. They, a lot of people say he's a lot like Firmino, who holds up the ball, you know, produces opportunities for others, but doesn't necessarily score a ton. He did, you know, score quite well last season. But I do think having that other option of a youthful player that can come in, you know, play cup games, for example. I know that Wolves aren't in Europe this year now, but when they the, the plan is to be back in Europe and to have more options and more squad depth is really interesting well really important for Wolves because I think that that has definitely cost them in the past the uh, bit of a lack of depth and I do think that he is you know could be a really interesting young player although you know it is a big fee on a young player and you we do have to see how he deals with that pressure. Fabio Silva sounds like a Wolves player if you came up to me last week and said, guess which Premier League club are linked with a player called Fabio Silva, I'd have said Wolves. It just sounds right. You could almost use like a random generator yeah. and it would always <laughs> yeah. for, a, for a Wolves signing and that would be the one that would come up. And I don't know if you've seen him. He looks like every member of Catfish and the Bottle Men at the same time. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> he has you know huge indie energy. But um, yeah, um, but he is, yeah, he should be an exciting player, those points aside. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that will help him, definitely. That will help him settle in, surely, with the, the local people of Wolverhampton. But on the um, on his actual settling inside, is obviously you mentioned, obviously, he's, he's only 18. Obviously, he's been part of that Porto youth team. So there's a good chance he would have obviously grown up and seen, obviously, like, Neves and obviously how well he's done. Obviously, really admired him as he was the youngest ever captain in the Champions League. But then also from a Portuguese side, he obviously would have 
seen players like Moutinho and Patrizio, he's done it for, for so long at the top level. And now he's obviously going to be coming in and playing with these. So I think that will really help him settle in and almost settle some of his nerves. So he's going to be obviously you know, have that large Portuguese contingent around him. And even though he's obviously got the large fee over his head, I believe it was about 30 half, 35 and a half million pounds. But well, let's be honest, these days, those those numbers almost, they're always going to be increasing. Obviously, it was Wolves' highest ever transfer, but that, that's not going to last very long because just the way the the way the market's going, even with the COVID restrictions. So I, I, do, I do think this is quite a nice, quite smart signing. If they can get him to ease him, ease him in and then obviously use him towards the end to replace Jimenez and really help him out on that side. Because obviously, unfortunately, Patrick Catrone didn't work out and it's gone back to Florentino. Yeah, that was a shame. But I, I, it was a massive shame because I love Catrone. I love yeah, him as a, I love him as a player. And he's obviously, he's clearly one of those, almost a bit like Moise Ken, who's now got a second chance under Carlo. But I think he just almost just didn't really settle in England, which is understandable. So at least Silva's got that Portuguese side behind him. Yeah, talking of strikers that underwhelmed last season, um, Callum Wilson's just signed for Newcastle. I think that's actually quite a good signing for Newcastle because they struggled to score goals for a while now. And he is a proven goal scorer. Yeah, now my biggest takeaway on the signing, and I will admit this this might be an opinion that you two will strongly disagree with and I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with and maybe even turn off so I do apologize on that front but I think the Callum Wilson signing although it's very good for Newcastle actually the most important thing that is good for is Joe Linton because obviously Joe Linton clearly did struggle last year he only got two league goals but I am a massive fan of Joe Linton from his whole time at Hoffenheim and obviously I really liked the signing when they brought him in last year on the surface until I realised what they were trying to do with Joe Linton. And at that point, I was completely out. And just the whole season, obviously, he was getting just absolutely criticised for not scoring and obviously not playing that role. But they've so he's obviously left his Hoffenheim team where he was obviously playing under Nagelsmann for a long time before he moved to Leipzig. And he was really fitting in and really, really working well in that system. And then he's come over almost to replace Solomon Rondon, who obviously left and went over to China from Newcastle last year. Well, I think if you look at it, Rondon is probably one of the best target men in the world. He's probably like, realistically, for that sort of player, he probably is a top five target man. But that's just not the sort yeah, of player. Yeah, it's not really a position. Sorry, Sam. It's not really a position that you see a lot of now. There's not a lot of teams that well, build no. themselves around. No, obviously, it's, that's, board, so. it's quite a unique skill these days. Obviously, it's quite a... But that is obviously how, under Benitez, that's how Newcastle played. So, obviously, then they move Rondon on, or, or actually, more, more realistically, they decided not to sign him because they didn't want to spend the money. But then they went out and spent obviously 40 million on Joe Linton, who's and then asked him to play that Rondon role. But that's just not really what fits him. He obviously, yes, he is a very physical player and he is very good at playing off and making those runs off defenders, but he needs to be focused around a number nine himself, which is why obviously this Callum Wilson one could fit quite well. Because Joe Linton is a lot more comfortable. He's either dropped back in that second striker role almost, but also actually when he's out on the wing, like he favours that left hand side. And he was lining up a lot of times in a in a three five two, playing as one of that two, but albeit slightly withdrawn. But then sometimes, obviously, we see, we see in the Champions League how much Nagelsmann likes to experiment. They could switch from that three five two. They might go to a four three three or a four four two. And Joe Linton has that versatility to be able to work. I just don't think that the signing itself. I think he was almost doomed to fail playing under Steve Bruce. And that's no disrespect to Steve Bruce, but if you again, obviously, I criticised West Ham and linked them to Leipzig earlier. But I think if you look at two managers, Steve Bruce and Nagelsmann, are the complete other end of the spectrum. Yeah, and in general, on a more broad Newcastle point, um, like I alluded to earlier, I think they've done quite quite good business. Like, I think the phrase is probably solid but unspectacular business this summer. They were a squad that massively struggled with depth. Um, you know, signing Jeff Hen- Hendrick on a free... They've gone and got Ryan Frazier on a free, who I think is, you know, that's an absolute steal for them. I think he's an excellent player. Uh, Callum Wilson for not a huge fee, around 20 million. Uh, they're, you know, looking to uh, shore up Max Aarons now from Norwich, which I think is another great signing. I think, yeah, it's a team that sorely lacked depth last year. And I think these are really good acquisitions. They not, might not all play every week necessarily, but I really think they help strengthen the squad. And I do think that. Newcastle should not, you know, shouldn't be too fearful of relegation this year. But they start to start, uh, start to, you know, gather a squad of quite experienced, quite uh, sensible Premier League players. And then they still have players such as Alan Sant Maximam who can, you know, wow the crowds when they're allowed back in, and you know, does have that X factor. But yeah, I'm quite surprisingly, I'm quite impressed with Newcastle's business this summer, even if you know, Newcastle fans haven't got what they want in the new ownership. Okay, well, I think that's enough chat. So 
as usual, we'll finish with a round of our game. We've come up with a name for it now. We're calling it Who Are You? But I think it needs a jingle, though, too. So we'll, we'll try and work on a jingle for, for next time. Can't wait to see what uh, sort of you jingle listeners. you come out with. Well, can we, oh, how, well, much the, yeah. how much are the rights from the Who? Are they you know, quite a bit? Or? <laughs> I think we can get them. For new listeners, it's a sort of 20 questions, but head-to-head. If they guess right, they guess again. If they're wrong, the other takes over. You'll pick it up. It's very simple. Um, I believe it's all level after last week. Uh, one one, nice and cagey. So I've got a player, Matt. You're up first. Okay, are they a current player? Yes. Good. That's you know the easy one out of the way. Uh, are they a player that plays in the top five European leagues? Yes. I'm really glad you answered yes to that one. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say otherwise we're struggling hard straight away. Uh, are they a La Liga player? No. Uh, do they play in Syria? No. Oh, I hope I'd have an advantage. Right, here we go again. We're just going to get down to the last one, aren't we? Do they play in... Yeah, we're just going to quickly read through them <laughs> do again. Do they play in France? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Let's cut <laughs> um, up two. Okay. Like, I don't know. Knowing you, is it Memphis Depay? Oh, that's an outrageous <laughs> early shout. He's a... gone from 40 yards. It's gone from 40 yeah, yards, but it's... it's gone blazing over the bar. No. Oh, just like, um, who was it in Soccer Aid last night? They just shot from 40 yards every time we got oh, the what, ball. Oh, Michael Essien. Michael Essien, yeah. <laughs> yeah, give the others he a chance. It's going to happen. Right, okay, let's have a look then. Did he, did he play for a team which finished in the Champions League places last year? Yes. Surprisingly. Okay, so it's narrowed... Oh, okay, so it's narrowed as a free. The fact you say surprisingly, I think oh, I know yeah, which not one of those three it might be then. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we're, we're getting there. We're still, we're still learning. still early days. Did they play for Wren? Yes. Okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> are they a forward player? No. Oh, okay. Um, well, Ron, I'll be Ron's honest. I don't know a huge amount of Wren players. Except for the one that used to play for Blackburn, so I'm going to go for Stephen and Zonzi. <laughs> it is Stephen and Zonzi. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Good that work. Was, that well, was I sort of feel like I gave you Rens, but that's yeah. my fault. But yeah, I, still well done. <laughs> that was the only Rens player I knew. So, so two one to Matt in the series. Good stuff. Okay, so a bit of admin just before we go. Thank you, everyone who's still listening to us. We really enjoy making these, and if you enjoy listening to them, and that's excellent. Uh, you can get in touch if you like at Raven Football NW on Twitter. Now, we're particularly keen to hear from you if you're one of the foreign listeners that we apparently have. So, if you're one of our listeners from Botswana, Nigeria, <laughs> South Africa, or Texas, I think please get in touch because we would love to hear from you. <laughs> I like the yeah, email. I like that. Yeah, you can also email ravenfootballnetwork at gmail.com if you'd like. Um, yeah, thanks for listening and thank you, Matt. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Dennis. Cheers, it's been a pleasure. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>